reading for this evening comes from the prophet Ezekiel, the 18th chapter. The word of the Lord came to me. What do you mean by repeating this proverb concerning the land of Israel? The fathers have eaten sour grapes and the children's teeth are set on edge. As I live, declares the Lord God, this proverb shall no more be used by you in Israel. Behold, all souls are mine. The soul of the father as the soul of the son is mine. The soul who sins shall die. Yet you say, the way of the Lord is not just. Hear now, O house of Israel, is my way not just? Is it not your ways that are not just? When a righteous person turns away from his righteousness and does injustice, he shall die for it. For the injustice that he has done, he shall die. Again, when a wicked person turns away from his wickedness as he has committed and does what's just and right, he shall live because he has considered and turned away from all the transgressions that he had committed. He shall surely live. He shall not die. Yet the house of Israel says, the way of the Lord is not just. O house of Israel, are my ways not just? Is it not your ways that are not just? Therefore, I will judge you, O house of Israel, everyone according to his ways, declares the Lord God. Repent and turn from your transgressions, lest iniquity be your ruin. Cast away from you all the transgressions that you have committed, and make yourselves a new heart and a new spirit. Why will you die, O house of Israel? For I have no pleasure in the death of anyone, declares the Lord God. So turn and live. This is, the gospel, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Please rise. Holy Gospel from St. Matthew, the 21st chapter. Glory to you, O Lord. When Jesus entered the temple, the chief priests and the elders of the people came up to him as he was teaching and said, By what authority are you doing these things? And who gave you this authority? Jesus answered them, I also will ask you one question, and if you tell me the answer... Then I also will tell you by what authority I do these things. The baptism of John, where did it come from? From heaven or from man? And they discussed it among themselves, saying, If we say from heaven, he will say to us, Why then did you not believe him? But if we say from man, we're afraid of the crowd, for they all hold that John was a prophet. So they answered Jesus, We do not know. And he said to them, Neither will I tell you by what authority I do these things. What do you think? A man had two sons. He went to the first and said, Son, go and work in the vineyard today. And he answered, I will not. But afterward, he changed his mind and went. And he went to the other son and said the same. And he answered, I go, sir. But he did not go. Which of the two did the will of his father? They said the first. Jesus said to them, Truly I say to you, the tax collectors and the prostitutes go into the kingdom of God before you. For John came to you in the way of righteousness, and you did not believe him. But tax collectors and prostitutes believed in him. And even when you saw it, you did not afterwards change your minds and believe in him. This is the gospel of the Lord. 
praise to you, O Christ. We came of Jesus. Amen. I invite you, if you'd like, to follow along with me in Philippians chapter 2. You'll find that on page 981 in your uh, pew Bibles that are underneath the benches. And I'm going to be reading there verses 12 to uh, 18, and then we'll go back over them. Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you both to will and to do His work for His good pleasure. Do all things without grumbling and disputing, that you may be blameless and innocent, children of God without blemish, in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation, among whom, and here's the sermon title, among whom you shine as lights in the world, holding fast the word of life, so that in the day of Christ I may be proud of you that, you, that I did not run in vain or labor in vain, even if I am poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrificial offering of your faith, I am glad and rejoice with you all. Likewise, you also should be glad and rejoice with me. Those of you who love to watch NFL football will know that there's always been this question about which is more important in football to have the best defense and maybe not the best offense, or the best offense and maybe not the best defense. Ten years ago, pretty much the answer to that question was the best defense. As the saying goes, offense wins games, defense wins championships. But rule changes have happened to make it hard for the defense. Fans like touchdowns. They like high-scoring 50-point games. So now if you ask the question, which would you really need to have a greater offense or greater defense, pretty much the same. We need a greater offense now. In the Christian life, there's never been a question about which is more important, offense in the Christian life or defense in the Christian life. The Bible really uh, treats both of them in the same way and gives the same weight to both. What do I mean by that? Well, on the one hand, the Christian life is lived in a defensive way. Uh, you see a lot of passages in the Bible that talk about this. For example, Psalm number 1. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stands in the path of sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scornful. So there are many passages that talk about avoiding the world and avoiding temptations. Uh, Paul talks about putting on the full armor of God. That's a lot of that is a, a defensive kind of thing. But the Bible equally speaks about the importance of living uh, the Christian life in an, in an uh, offensively way. For example, we are called to go out into the world, uh, even, even into a world that is full of evil, and to, as the title of the sermon says, to shine as lights. Jesus also lived his life both in a defensive way and in an offensive way. In John chapter 7, he would not, John tells us, go about in Judea because there were men there trying to take his life, and he wasn't ready yet for that to happen. But in John 17, Jesus is now in Jerusalem 
fact, the parable that we just read was spoken at the temple at a time when these guys were really closing in on him, and he knew it. But John said, prayed actually, as you, Father, as you sent me into this world, evil and wicked as it is, I have also sent them. So you and I, we are also called by the Lord to take on the Christian life in an offensive way, to go into the world and to treat it with God's truth and God's love. So let's take a look at this passage from Philippians to see how Paul teaches us to do just that, to go into the darkness of this world and to shine as lights. First of all, the candle has to be lit. Verses 12 to 13, Therefore, my beloved, as you have obeyed, so now not only in my presence but in my absence, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. The candle has to be lit. There has to be faith, faith that is active and working. And it's God that certainly does this, as Paul says. I asked the children at chapel on Thursday, what is the will of God? That question kind of caught them off guard. They really had a hard time answering it. I'm not going to ask any of you to raise your hands to see if you can answer that question. Uh, but I really would wonder what's going on in your minds right now. What is the will of God? It is kind of a big question. And so the children, you know, began to answer, well, it's in the Bible. Yes, that's very good. It's in the Bible, but we got to get a little more narrow than that. Another child raised her hand and said, well, I think we get the answer from Jesus. That's pretty good too, but we still need to narrow it down, don't we? Finally, one little child sitting over here said, it's in the catechism. Now, we're getting warmer now. If we look at the very basic passages of the Bible, like the Ten Commandments, the Apostles' Creed, the Lord's Prayer, there's where we can really begin to understand what the will of God is. Uh, some months ago, I preached a sermon, and I threw out these letters, L-R-B-O, uh, standing for listen, repent, believe, obey. This is what God wants us to do. In the commandments, He wants us to listen to Him, to believe in Him. He wants us to repent of our sins. He wants to look to us to Jesus for our forgiveness. He wants us to keep those commandments and as we pray in the Lord's Prayer to live a holy life. Basically, when the candle is lit, when there is faith in our hearts, there's this big change that occurs. We change our way of living from constantly sinning, sinning as much as we can without getting into too much trouble. That's pretty much the way we lived before we became Christians. But when the candle is lit and when faith happens and repentance and new life begins, everything changes. And now our goal is to avoid sin as much as possible, knowing that this is what pleases God. And that kind of life is a well-lit candle. In fact, it is a burning torch, and it can make a big difference in a world that is overcome by sin and lost in the darkness of sin. 
But then Paul goes on. Let's look at verses 14 to 15. Do all things without grumbling or disputing that you may be blameless and innocent, children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation among whom you shine as lights in the world. Do all things without complaining. Now, there's a time to dispute. Paul disputed often when he was confronted by the lies and deceptions of the devil. But there's a big difference between disputing when it's necessary and living a life where you're constantly complaining and constantly disputing. I saw this vividly in my own life when I was a boy. I had the blessing of a Christian education up until the sixth grade. Well, actually in the sixth grade. But then we moved. And in the seventh grade, I went to a non-Christian school. So my 12 years of basic education is split 50-50, Christian, non-Christian. Here's how I would compare those two experiences in my life. First of all, uh, academically, I would give the edge to the Christian education that I have, although it wasn't huge. The main reason we have Christian education is not that we would be the best academically. I would say in the realm of friendships, there was a lot of overlap. I had good friends both in my experience in Christian schools and good friends in my experience in non-Christian schools. So what's the big difference between the two? I would say that the biggest difference that I noticed was the difference in attitude that there were more people who smiled, both teachers and children, in the Christian school than in the non-Christian school. Now, the Christian school wasn't perfect. I got sent to the principal's office when I was a student in a Christian school, never in a public school, and my dad was the principal at that time. But in the Christian school, overall, it was so, uh, so clear. It was just like this was the biggest Oh, uh, awakening that I experienced, and that is there was just so much more complaining and whining and uh, fighting and arguing and things like that, a better overall attitude. And as I grew up, I began to realize that there's just a lot of people in this world. Some of them have bad attitudes because they may be suffering physically, but there are a lot of people with bad attitudes because, frankly, they have a bad attitude about God, and they're angry with God. And that spills over into everything. Their default, their, their general mode is a bad attitude. Cain, in the Bible, is the poster child for this problem. The Bible tells us that he was angry, and the Lord even came to him and asked, Why are you angry? Why has your countenance fallen? Why are you so sad and bitter? Well, as you read in that in Genesis chapter 4, you realize that, that Cain's real problem was that he wouldn't listen to God and he wasn't repentant and he didn't have the forgiveness of sins. And he starts a whole line of human beings and descendants after him that are frankly bitter and unhappy people because sin, as God warned Cain, ruled over them rather than the other way around. When we have the candle lit, when God has brought this gift of faith into our hearts, sin is there, but it doesn't rule over us. 
Paul's words, last words in this little section, also talk to us about having uh, a light that shines in the world. Paul says, hold fast to the word of life so that on the day of Christ I may be proud that I did not run in vain or labor in vain. Even if I am poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrificial offering of your faith, I am glad and rejoice with you all. Likewise, you also should be glad and rejoice with me. Third thing about uh, shining as a light in this world is holding fast to the words of life. This was Paul's joy, and then later on he explains this is our joy. It's this Word of God that we're gathered around tonight, again, to hear a few parts of it, but every Sunday, every Saturday, we come together, and uh, throughout the days of the week when we open our Bibles, uh, or when we just remember certain passages, or we're listening to Christian music, and it reminds us of something of God's Word, these are the words of life, and these are the words that keep this candle of faith burning. Jesus said, most assuredly I say to you, he who hears my words and believes in him who sent me has everlasting life and shall not come into judgment, but has passed from death to life. And my first ministry, which began in 1984, was in the state of Nebraska. Now think about that. In 1984, down the, just a couple blocks down the road from my church was a nursing home. And I had a lot of time in that nursing home to visit with people there and to share the good news of of Jesus with them. But there were people in that nursing home that were born in the late 1800s. So that kind of shows you how old I am as well as how old they were. Late 1800s. They grew up. They were children in the early 1900s. They knew people that lived in the early 1800s. One gentleman told me a story of what one of his ancestors who had left St. Louis to go to the Nebraska Territory. He told me about how he prepared. He saved up his money. He bought a wagon. He bought mules. He bought tools. He bought a plow, harnesses, a rifle. But he had a bad choice that he had to make, a hard choice that he had to make. He knew those harnesses were going to wear out in the middle of Nebraska. Where is he going to get new harnesses? He wanted to buy an extra set of harnesses so he could make sure he could plow. He thought about it hard because the other thing he wanted to buy, the last thing he needed to buy with the money he had left was a Bible. He finally made the decision to buy the Bible thinking, I can make my own harnesses when that time comes. But I can't make the Word of God. I need that faith-inspiring, life-giving book. Lord, as Peter said, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. There are many, many of those settlers that have told us a similar story about how they were sustained by the words of God in the Bible. We need those words as well to keep that light burning and to shine in the darkness of this world. There is a time to be defensive, especially when we are tempted into sin, but there is also a time for us to be sent, as 
shining lights into the world to bring salvation. And God makes that possible for us as He alights that flame in our hearts, uh, work out your salvation as God works it in your life, as He creates an attitude of joy and happiness because uh, you have a right relationship with God. And finally, as Paul says, holding fast, giving our utmost attention to the word of life, not only for our salvation, but for the salvation of all that we will come to meet in this life, to shine as lights in the world. In Jesus' name, amen. Please rise.